0: Welcome to the Grace Monroe Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Monroe, Georgia, that exists to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. For more information about our church, visit graceformonroe.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. It's so good to see all of you. We have this nervous experience every Sunday that uh, when we start our, our service, that half of you are here, and then the lights go down, and it's almost magical, right? That that the Holy Spirit just kind of fills the the room up. So I'm glad all of you made it and uh, made it through. Probably many of you uh, a week with your with your kids that uh, was. Uh, A welcome disruption uh, with spring break, uh, but you're probably as fatigued as I am, uh, getting uh, uh, doing the whole taxi thing with the kids back and forth and all around. So so glad that that you're here today. We're closing out the restored series, but don't worry. This is this is not the end. This this really is. Uh, it really is the launching pad and the beginning of something what we believe is going to be really, really amazing. And uh, over the past weeks and couple of months, as we've talked about this RESTORED acronym, uh, we've really landed on, uh, I think, some some life-impacting things. And I can say that with some confidence because the stories that have come out that we've shown on the screen, now you probably have your favorite ones, I have my favorite ones Uh, But the reason why they've been so impactful has been because uh, those stories that that come up on the screen are, well, they're our stories. I mean, they could just as easily be told by you as by Sean and uh, Jill and Sadie, that those kinds of connections aren't, shouldn't be, uh, but in this room aren't, They're extraordinary, but they're not out of the ordinary. And the idea behind the Restored series is that this acronym representing what a Grace Monroe disciple looks like. The unchanging principles of Scripture are always true, right? That a disciple is a follower of Jesus. But the promise of, and really the call for any church, is to answer the question... If, if someone were to come and, and dwell in our midst for a length of time, like I'd like to say, if you give us five years, this is what you're going to look like. There's some sort of a, a promise there that if, if we rub shoulders with you, if you take part in, in our classes and if you're in our groups and listen to our sermons, the unchanging principles of discipleship that you'll find in Scripture, you can just read it on the page, but a Grace Monroe disciple is going to look like restored right uh, that uh, and the call of restored is that you and I start kind of moving in the same direction with the same focus as one another there's a uh, you might have heard this before what's the difference between a spotlight and a laser beam A spotlight and a laser beam, really the the difference is unity. So, a spotlight has a a bunch of lights that are pointed in a similar direction, and it puts off a lot of heat, it, it illuminates some things, while a laser beam, on the other hand, focuses a bunch of lights at precisely the same point. The difference is extraordinary. If one puts off a lot of heat, the other does a lot of damage. And we believe that with the Restored series, that we as God's people here that call Grace Monroe our home, will start to move in precisely the same direction. That we'll, we'll start speaking the same language. And with that kind of focus, well, we're not out to do a lot of damage in Monroe, okay? But that we have the opportunity... With this, I don't like to say small church, but this gathering of people in this place, stepping out from here, speaking the same language, God moving in us and through us in the same direction, can and will, we believe it, I I sense it with you, can and will change this city, and from this city change the world. The difference between a spotlight and a laser beam. In this season, we've been focusing our attention on becoming focused as a people here. And I believe that that's where the power really is going to be. We could come and dwell in this place side by side, leave week after week, shine lights into the world, or we can focus ourselves and do something together that is absolutely extraordinary. I believe that's the case because that's what happened with the disciples. A small group of uh, 12, 70, 120, even if you take the largest group of, of dedicated disciples with 120 that followed Jesus around after the resurrection into Acts chapter 1, just before the church was launched, that small group of people of 12, 70, or 120 absolutely turned their world upside down. You know the story. Because that story is told not only in the New Testament, but it's told through history. And what happened in Acts chapter 2, not where we're going to launch this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, but what happened in Acts chapter 2 made its way from Jerusalem in a little square on Pentecost through history against trials and tribulations. the, The greatest warriors in the history of the world trying to diffuse it and take it down made its way all the way to this room 2,000 and some couple of hundred years later. That's the power of focus. And that's what Jesus did In Acts chapter 1, well, let's start in verse 1. I want to read together for just a a couple of minutes and let Scripture show us what Jesus wants to do with us. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke, the writer, says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus, he says, began to do and teach until the day... When he was taken up, after he, had been given, after he had given commands through the Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We'll, we'll deal with it, the, the rest in just a minute, but look, look at what Luke is so crafty. I love the way, he, as, a, as an historian, his preacher side comes out because he wants to show us uh, something, uh, I think, life changing. He does want, want us just to see that Jesus came and did some things. Uh, he was with the disciples. Hey, you know, this is, it's really neat that Jesus was resurrected. Yay, Easter. But he starts out this way. Oh, Theophilus is telling his student, I want to tell you everything that Jesus began to do and teach. And that word began changes everything. That word began turns the book of Acts and Acts chapter one through the whole thing into a dot, dot, dot that leads all the way to your house and my house into this room. That what Jesus, Jesus is not a was, he's an is. Jesus began something but his intention and in in, in what's proven and shown in the resurrection is that there wasn't an end to the story that Acts shows us it's a continuation. And that continuation of what Jesus began to do, not only to do, but to teach as well, that Jesus is still acting, and he's still working, and he's still teaching, and he's still speaking. Even today, that little word changes everything. He wants to speak to you and to me just as well as he wanted to speak to them. Jesus is still acting. He wants to move in your life and in my life just as He did in their life, in their lives. Everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. But not only that, Jesus says, or Luke says, uh, that He showed Himself with many proofs to them over 40 days. I love to talk about this. I love, I love sitting down over coffee with skeptics, and if you're a person that has some uh, struggles believing in the resurrection of Jesus and believing the Bible, I would love to spend some time talking with you. The, and, and Luke is that kind of guy. When he intersected people, he didn't, he didn't ask them, and Jesus wasn't asking for people to take a, a leap or even a hop of faith. And it's not that, that faith is irrelevant, but, but faith, in this case, faith in the resurrection is based on, on proof. What kind of proof? It says it here. That Jesus showed himself. Where did he show himself? He showed himself in small groups, in large groups, to a couple of people on the side of the road and to dozens of people, people who recognized him and had spent time with him in his earthly ministry. To as many as thousands, 5,000 males on several occasions. Like enough that he would would lift his arms with one disciple and say, put your your hand here, I want you to see where the scar is. Touch my hands. Up close and personal. Across the dinner table, handing people fish and by the campfire. Forty days he spent with them. Thousands of them. Dozens of them. One-on-one and in large groups. He's not asking you just to take somebody's word for it. He's asking you to take thousands of people's word for it. Doesn't that change everything? Some guy that we kind of pay off, take his word for it. I mean, one guy, a couple of guys, dozens of guys, thousands. Let that speak to your skepticism. Thousands of people spent time with Jesus, not for a day, not for an hour, not an evening by candlelight, but for 40 days. And imagine what the disciples must have been thinking. I mean, they thought it was over, Jesus died. He's resurrected, touch my side. Up close, personal, proof, proof, proof. They wake up wiping the dream out of their eyes every morning, saying, I don't know, man, is this real? There he is. Man, there he is. He's cooking us fish for breakfast. Who eats fish for breakfast? He was with them. Imagine what they must have been thinking. Wouldn't that that jazz you up? I mean, you're with him and Jesus is teaching. He's confirming. You're ready to go and change the world. I've had the sense that we're that way as well. I think the restored series is something that's been—it's brought about some remarkable things in our church body. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're a guest with us today, you can go online. You can you can watch the the rest of the series. They had to have been jazzed, ready to go. So look what Jesus says in verse four, and while they were staying with him. Jesus is getting ready to leave them again, to ascend into heaven. While they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? Shout it out. Wait? What do you mean, wait? He says, don't leave Jerusalem. Their veins are popping out. They're so excited. They are ready to go and do some damage. (laughs) And Jesus says, wait? Why? I mean, this is a story that's got to get told. Jesus, mind you, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go. And now he's saying, wait? Man, he's contradicting himself all over the place. What do you mean, wait? We're supposed to go and change the world. Wait. The rest of our time this morning is going to be, talk, is going to be talking about, spent talking about, uh, actively waiting, the power and purpose of a season of waiting. Because there are dangers, right? When we talk about about waiting, there's just as much a chance uh, that we'll lose momentum in the season of delay. In the waiting, in fact, you can see it with the disciples. I would say that there's two major dangers in waiting, and as a church, we're finishing our uh, our property, we're getting some things ready for the next season. We're about to come into summer. We've as we're uh, putting together our learning communities, and Brian will be talking about these a little bit more later on. Uh, Learning communities and discipleship groups, gatherings all the neat things that are coming out of this series, we believe that the worst time that we could do that is when we're uh, all hands on deck, finishing a property and entering into the summer. Like that would set these groups and these classes, these learning communities up for absolute failure. So we're going to have a season of waiting. There's going to be a little bit of a delay. The danger is uh, that we can get discouraged. You saw that with the disciples. The last time Jesus made them wait, like He's crucified, he finds them later having gone back to their old lives, they got discouraged. And Peter's, man, he's like totally backslid. He's naked on a boat. <laughs> I mean, right? Go back and read it. When Jesus, at the end of John, when, when Jesus is on shore, Peter's naked. Like he, he just leaned into it all the way, man. <laughs> I got totally backslid. And then he's skinny dipping, and that's the rest of the story. You can laugh, it's okay. It's in scripture. So discouragement can lead us to sliding backward and, and losing the momentum, losing what we've gained in this kind of a series in their experience as well. The other danger and I think Jesus is just as concerned about this is you have discouragement but anxiety. Like the that nervous energy, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Have you it's it's like uh oh, my wife is this way when she gets nervous. She just starts, like she's everywhere, all over the house, man, cleaning this, cleaning that, and I'm watching it going, oh, man, I gotta get out of here. She's gonna, she's gonna pull me into this, and my whole Saturday is gonna, gonna be spent just kind of doing this and that and this and that. Jesus isn't looking for them to aimlessly go out and do something. He has in mind that they would purposefully launch into The major thing, not just some things, but the thing. Jesus isn't looking for them to, like a flash mob, change the day of the people in the temple square. He's looking to launch from the temple square, he says, in verse 5, from Jerusalem to Judea, all the way to Monroe, Georgia. Read it, that's what he says. All the way to the ends of the earth. And in order for that to happen... Some things of this waiting period has a purpose. He's not looking for them to anxiously go out and tell parts of the story, but with focus for them to tell the same story. He says, Wait on the Holy Spirit. Wait on the Holy Spirit. So if there are dangers in waiting, what are the benefits? I think one of the neatest things, I love Acts chapter 1, but one of the neatest things is is we follow them in this. And they don't do this all the time through the book of Acts. And we could misuse some of these stories and turn them into just little principles for us to add to our lives. But I really see the purpose in their waiting for the rest of the chapter. So you read with me in, in the beginning in verse six. So when they had come together, actually let's begin in verse five. For John, he says, "Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit that you heard from me." In verse five, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I don't know some of you right now are thinking, "I'm ready for this. I'd like to launch into what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is." We're not going to do that. And we're not going to spend the rest of our time doing that. But if you want to email me, I would love to send you some resources that will help answer some questions and add, add to the healthy discussion of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire, and those kinds of things are. Love having those conversations. I've done some reading on it. I have some resources that I think would really, really be informative. But for our purposes today, what they're waiting for is for the Holy Spirit to totally take over. This is, that's baptism. Think, whoosh, all the way. Completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. Not a little sprinkles, not a little dab, not just a little bit. The total immersion of the Holy Spirit for Him to then take control and launch them out into the temple square and to. The ends of the earth. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you uh, at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He says in verse 6, He said to them, It's not for you to know the times and seasons of the Father's fixed on his authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth Hold on. That would be Monroe to the ends of the earth. Not one of them made it to Monroe. I don't know that Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, even some of the guys we can't pronounce their names, did any of them visit this place? I mean, they would have had to get on a boat and they didn't have those kinds of boats back then. They didn't know how to get over here. So how can he say to the ends of the earth? Because of all that Jesus began to do and teach. like The promise is, if it's going to get to the ends of the earth, there's something that's going to have to launch from that place to the next place, from that generation to the next generation, from this group of people to another group of people, to hand off what happened through history all the way to this place. And that's why you're sitting here today. Because Jesus began. He didn't finish. Jesus is an is, not a was. All that Jesus began to do and teach. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking? It's It's almost like Dad thumping you on the back of the head, get to work, right? Men of Galilee. Why are you standing there looking at the heaven? He's gone. He's given you the instructions. But what are the instructions for them to what? Okay, I'm going to cue you again. What are they supposed to be doing? Wait. They're supposed to wait. It says stop looking up at heaven. Get at it. And you feel the activeness, the purposeness, purposefulness in this. Go and Wait. And what happens next in this text shows us how to wait actively. So they left that place, they returned to Jerusalem, they went back, he says in verse 12. They returned to Jerusalem. Wait a minute, if you're supposed to be going forward, why are you going backward? Well, I think the illustration is strong, that the, the power of propelling forward Often, in order to propel forward with power, often we have to go backward. Think about, we've talked about the spotlight and the laser beam, but think about a slingshot. I mean, all it is is, this isn't the the old school couple of sticks and rubber bands, but all it is is a, a, a Y fork and some rubber bands dangling off the back of it, right? But all of a sudden... You pinch those together. I was waiting for somebody to flinch. You pinch them together and you pull it backward to launch forward with power. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with them from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. So they went back uh, to Jerusalem, they went up into the upper room, and it says in verse 12 that they devoted themselves to prayer. So there's three things I want to I, I teach into you. They devoted themselves to prayer. The idea of prayer. Uh, they gathered together. Would be number two if you're taking notes. So uh, they prayed. They gathered together. And they got some healing. They prayed, they gathered together, and they got some healing. So that first idea of praying, they went up to the upper room, and this isn't like, well, I don't know what else to do, nervously, let's pray. He uses the word they devoted themselves to prayer. And Think of it this way. As they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, they had... The, the question hangs in the air. Why would the Holy Spirit come to them if they're not even interested in him? And notice I'm saying him, not it. The Holy Spirit's a, a, a him, not an it. <laughs> often we'll say uh, it came on them. No, it didn't come on them. He, the third person of the Holy, the third third person of the Godhead, came on them. Why would he come? If they're not even interested in him, prayer signals to God and to the Holy Spirit that you're interested, that you're devoted. It's a call to, but it's also the language of. Why would the Holy Spirit come if they don't even know how to speak his language? I have The, the two times that I've lived overseas for extended periods of time and I've gotten advice about you know, what to do to prepare, the first thing they give you the, the language guidebook. The, the, just the simple phrases so that when you get off the boat, when you get off the plane, you can find the bathroom. You know how to ask for a, a check. You can say help, right? Just enough to get by, but it signals to the people that you took it, especially if you're moving to a place, if you're interested in really immersing in a culture. Like you get off the plane and say, I've, I've been pre- preparing for this for a year. And if you don't even speak anything, I mean, you can't, can't say hello. Now, what were you doing? This is preparing themselves for the Holy Spirit. Uh, leaning into him, showing interest, speaking his language. And once again, why would he come to a people that don't even care? Right? Why, would, why would he come to my house if, if my house doesn't even recognize the power of the Holy Spirit? Why would he come to this place if we're not leaning in and speaking his language? They answer that question, waiting actively. Secondly, they gathered together. They learned this from Jesus. What do, you, what do you do in the morning? What do you do in the evening? What do you do in hard times? What do you do with joy? You get together. They were a people that, that were constantly gathering. Jesus modeled this with the disciples. He had the 12. They were with him always, Mark chapter 4 says. Why were they with him? Why did Jesus gather the disciples with him? Because there's power in numbers. There's power in unity. There's, uh, there's uh, accountability. And it's just more fun Uh, to do Jesus things when we're together, right? Amen? Like it's safer, it's better. We are better together. So the disciples followed that same model. And while they're waiting, what do they do? Waiting actively is waiting together. Organization, the organization of the church is going to come later. And the organization is going to include small groups and large groups, but a lot of small groups. In fact, what we're doing here today is, is historically very, very new. I mean, it started out, and it was all upper rooms and, and backyards. They, they were a groups-based uh, church system, if you want to call it that. And those, the organization of that would come later. This isn't about an organized church. This is what people do when they're seeking God. Go back to Matthew chapter eighteen. There's power uh, that wherever two or three are gathered together, God says, "I am in their midst." Jesus says, "I am with you." Those kind of gatherings. I, when we were planning, my wife and I were planning on moving overseas for an extended period of time, we went to a, a wise elder and asked, uh, asked him what we should, what we should do. And we, knew, we were looking for direction. We didn't exactly know where in China that we were going to be moving. Uh, and uh, we wanted some direction from God. And uh, he gave us, I think, some of the it was life-changing advice uh, for us. Uh, we'd Sit down over fish, and he says, uh, hey, let me ask you, first of all, how many Chinese, if you want to move to China, how many Chinese people do you know? With blank stares, want to move to China? He says, "If we want direction from God, uh, I'd go back to your little small town of Lubbock, Texas. I'd go back and, uh, man, I'd go meet some Chinese people. Just go look for them, and, uh, and then start meeting w- with some folks. And I-, I, I bet you, direction will come there." So one of that was speaking a little bit, speaking the language, leaning into it, showing some devotion. But the other was, they he used this, this phrase, it's a lot easier for God to steer uh, a, a ship that's already out of the harbor. To steer a moving ship. Now, he can put wind in those sails, he can give some direction. But if you're tied to the dock and you're asking God to move, to do something... Man, it's a lot harder to get something moving than it is to give direction to something that's already moving. That's what they were doing. I mean, the the whole church from that point forward, God is going to move in those and through those gatherings. He's going to bring elders out of those gatherings. He's going to bring missions and church plants and all of those. that, That kind of language isn't something we've thought up here at Grace Monroe. That's biblical language. And so, we'll say this at the end, but I want to say it now. While we're waiting to launch some things, gather. Get together. So you don't have to wait for someone to organize that for you. You can lean into that. With who? That person, that person, that person. Get together. Gathering. Secondly, and thirdly, from verse 12 to the end of the chapter... This thing happens that I've until I was studying this past week, I I just hadn't seen it. That uh, I just thought it was a formality. Even in my, even at the 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 heading of verse twelve, in in this whole next section, the last half of Acts chapter one, that Matthias is chosen to replace Judas. It just seems like a, a formality, right? I mean, Judas, uh, Judas kind of bailed on his responsibilities, and uh, he, he was no more. And uh, so, ha, we've got a vacancy. Our bylaws say you've got to have 12, so we've got to have a vote, you know. So there's Matthias, good guy. So let's vote on him, bam, bam. And uh, he's going to become one of the apostles. Truth is, if you read this, read the way they talk about Judas, And the way Matthias, the the spiritualism that goes behind his selection process, they had some healing that needed to happen before the Holy Spirit could propel them out in a healthy way. I mean, Judas, man, he didn't just bail on his responsibilities, trip up. The guy betrayed their trust. He took money to have their leader killed. This was traumatic, man. And you hear that trauma. They don't just say, uh, Judas, the betrayer, um, and he died, so there's a vacancy. You hear the saltiness, in, in, even in the way Luke transmits this. Like, you, without, without saying it, Judas, that dog, and the spit's coming out of their mouth. That guy. You might have people like that in your life that, that have hurt you so bad that when, even when you think of them, your eyes get white. Face tenses up, right? You need some healing. They, they had some things that they needed to... Pro- that whole experience, even with the death of Jesus, the trauma of that, because Peter had to go buy some new clothes because he was obviously missing some. They needed to process. Because once again, the Holy Spirit's not looking just to uh, get as much out of them in a short period of time, to launch them out into the square and uh, like a flash mob, change everybody's day. He's looking to use them to change the world. They also need to lean in and really process their commitment. Once again, this restored idea, restored people restoring people, is not something that's going to go away. At the end of this series, this is going to be language that we use. This is going to be assessments that we roll out. This is going to be us bumping up again. How are you doing with your Rs and how are you doing with your S's and score your stuff on this? Not because we're looking for some cute acronym, but because we're looking to change the world forever. And we believe that this has the power to do that because this connects to the original plan of Jesus's. Disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. Devoted to prayer, gathering together, getting at it, getting moving, and getting that healing. Changed the way they stepped onto the temple square on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So you see the disciples in different, you go back and read in the gospels. And you kind of see them fumbling around, always with their shoulders down, following Jesus. When they step out in power, it's, 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 it's almost laughable. They don't have the kind of confidence that you would expect with people that are going to change the world. They're not organized either. But in Acts chapter 2, something's different. I challenge you to go back and just read some of the stories about the disciples and then compare it to Acts chapter 2. This isn't the guys that, not the same people that just a couple of pages earlier were like despondent on a boat. I'm not going to say naked again. It's not the same people. 40 days, 50 days, 60 days, however long it was. Something happened in that waiting that when you can hear the music behind it in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. The music's behind us, almost that tombstone kind of uh, scene. The disciples enter onto the the public square where all the uh, Pentecost celebration stuff is happening. The the smoke's coming up behind them. And you see it, man. These people are focused. They are laser focused. And then they fan out. I'm paraphrasing just a little bit. They fan out, like 120 of them, and they got their hand signals going. They're like... You're over there, you're over there. And even when they're apart, they're together. Why? They'd leaned in, they devoted themselves to prayer. The Holy Spirit had totally immersed them. Why do they speak the same language? Because they were together. This is not rocket science. The, the unity comes. I could could sit us down let's talk for three hours on this, but we'll do this in in three seconds. Unity comes from being together. If the only time we see each other is in this room, our impact's going to be muffled. Let's get together. I mean, if we're going to do this thing, if we're going to change this city and this world, it's going to happen from the gatherings, from us getting together. And speaking truth into each other's life. And allowing God to bring us up and out in a healthy way. <laughs> they, they absolutely, when they walked onto that square, the Holy Spirit, he just, you feel it. You sense it. I, I love the way scripture tells these stories. Like, the Holy Spirit pinched them together. He didn't pinch them. He pinched them together. Pulled them back. and launched them out on that square and from that place to Judea, Samaria, all the way to Monroe, Georgia. There's purpose in waiting. And so for those of you who are like, you're worried about what's going to happen next, let me. Brian's going to come up here in just a second, but I want to give us just a couple of challenges. While we're waiting for the next thing, for learning communities to start and uh, uh, for uh, discipleship gatherings to to launch, I want to ask you uh, to join with me and join with one another in several things. First of all, in prayer. I want to call on you to pray. Make it a part of your daily rhythm to pray. Uh, that God would use this church and very specifically that God would use Grace Monroe uh, to accomplish his promise of to the ends of the earth. That we would be a people totally immersed with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, that you would gather. So groups is something that falls with me um, and and in this next year as we're reimagining what What discipleship groups, uh, um, house church communities, look like, it will be a lot easier for us uh, to to organize something that's already happening. Some of you have just you're going great guns with it, but if you're thinking, "Man, I really want to be a part," listen very very carefully to this. Uh, I really want to be a part of of a house church or a gathering. Oh, I wish I could. You can. You can absolutely. With a person next to you, with a person over there, gather some people. And as you're gathering, impromptu, organic communities. As you're gathering, put a little bug in your ear. We have. I've, I've, we're not going to be that church that points out our guests, but we have a lot of new people in the church. Add them to your, to your invites. Get together, pray, eat, laugh, play. Let the Holy Spirit uh, just do some really great things in that. And, and thirdly and lastly, serve. I said at the beginning of our time that uh, one of the reasons why it would be a bad idea to launch everything right now is because we're not done building yet. So there's work days. Uh, we've got to, we still have uh, vacancies in, uh, in our Sunday serve teams. And if we can't do that well, you know, then why should we, why should we uh, set out to do the next thing until we're doing this thing really, really well? It's pray. Devote yourself to prayer. Gather. Yeah. And thirdly and lastly, serve. Don't invite Brian up. I saw him walk out.
1: And there he is. Man, what a good word. Amen so, Yeah, praise Jesus. It's so good. I, I'm writing down notes in my Bible. That's good. And <clears throat> we really do that idea of waiting and expectation, but, but active waiting. <clears throat> so, as Brandon said, there's a few resources that we want to give you in this time. One, yes, pray. Spend time intentionally praying for our church, for our community. Get together, serve. But as we've gone through Restored, every week we've asked this question How are you doing? Like, this isn't just meant to be some, like, principles and <clears throat> some interesting thoughts, you know, some bumper sticker slogans. But really, like, how are you doing with Jesus in these different areas of discipleship? And so we want to give you some resources. If, if maybe we were talking about being receptive and you're like, man, I don't know what it means to be able to hear and respond to the voice of God in my life. How, how do I grow in that? Secure. I, I mean, i secure. I'm learning to hear from God, but I'm not very confident in who he's made me to be. Or open, you know. It's like, okay, I'm learning to hear from God, and I'm, I, I'm becoming confident who He's made me to be. But how do I live an open-hearted, generous life? And so, if you want to go, on, go on and break out your cell phones. Those of you that've been on TikTok, all service, you're ready already. Just kidding. And uh, and go on and throw up that slide. If you go on and text. And this isn't going to spam you. You're not going to get anything weird. But if you text restored to that number, if you go on and do that now, it's going to pull up this question of where are you in these different areas of that restored acronym. And so even just right now this morning, this isn't something we're just saying, hey, you know, maybe think about it later because I know how it is. We leave here, we grab our kids, we go to Applebee's and then we're like, what was that thing that we meant to do? So even right now, just go to go text. It's gonna send you a link and, and go on that link. And then the first question is simply this, receptive. And if you don't have your phone and you wanna do a, a paper version of this, it'll, it'll give you something. But just red, yellow, green. I mean, you know, We're real simple like Grace Monroe. Red, yellow, green, red, learning to hear from God and respond to his voice in my life. Red, it's not really happening at all. I don't know what that means. Yellow, I'm learning. I feel clumsy, but I'm growing. Green, it's thriving, flourishing in my life. E, equipped, being saturated in God's word. How are you doing there? Red, it's not happening. If I'm honest, I don't know the Bible. I don't spend time each day reading God's word. I don't even know how. I open it up. It's just a bunch of sentences that don't make sense. Yellow, I'm stumbling, I'm learning, I'm growing, i am still got a ways to go. Green, man, this is an active part of my life. I love it, i memorized the scripture, I'm growing in this area. S, secure, confident in who God has uniquely made you to be. Your identity, your calling, your passions, your gifts that he's given you. Red, no clue. Still searching, who am I, God? Yellow, kind of figuring it out, getting some sense. Green, Confident, living fully into who God's made me to be. T, transformed, being conformed to the image of Jesus in every area of our lives. Relationally, physically, mentally, spiritually. How are you doing? Red, yellow, green. O, open, living generously towards my neighbor and God's mission. How's that going? The second R, real, real living an authentic relationship with others, being known and knowing others. That question we asked there, who are your 2 a.m. friends? When everything goes terrible, who are the people that you call they are gonna show up for you? And if their lives become a wreck, you're gonna show up for them. Red, yellow, green. E, engaged, living intentionally on mission for God's kingdom. And then D, that final one, discipling. Intentionally apprenticing others in the ways of Jesus. How are you doing there? Are you pouring out into somebody else's life? An eighth grade love group? The baseball team at Monroe Area High School? A group of kids in your neighborhood or some guys at work or some other young moms? Are you intentionally teaching the things that God has taught you? Red? Not at all. Yellow? I'm figuring it out. Green? Man, this is an active, fun part of my life. Now, here's the thing about this. We don't wanna just like, it's not just simply about like grading ourselves. This isn't about producing guilt. I mean, we are anti-guilt and fear. That is not the language of the kingdom of God. That's not how Jesus talked. It's about empowering and inspiring. And we wanna give you resources that help you go one step further to being restored so that we can engage in God's restoration mission. So when you do that assessment, what it's gonna do is it's gonna send you back a list of resources for any of the areas that you put red or yellow on. It's gonna give you some great books that we recommend. It's gonna give you uh, some, uh, some webinars that Grace Snellville has put together to help you learn how to study your Bible or how to hear your identity from God. And then the, sa- the third thing is that it's gonna give you is what Brandon mentioned as learning communities. To be really honest, I, I hate the word classes. Like I have zero desire to go to another class. There are some of you that love classes, I guess. Maybe three of you out here. But I love being a part of a community learning stuff together, which by definition is a class. But you know what, words matter. So we don't have classes at Grace, we have learning communities. And we're gonna be offering those. And so if you're interested in one, being a part of one of those learning communities, there's a place that you can click and it will sign you up to be engaged in that when we offer them uh, come uh, this next fall and into the next season. So again, wait actively. If you're looking around going, man, what's this church doing for me? This is, I was born, there's nothing happening. It's like, no. Pursue Jesus, pursue Jesus, and pursue Jesus together. And here are some tools that over the next weeks, months, days ahead, you could take one step of faith forward with God. And so, if you'll stand with me, we're going to close our time in worship. And I ask you as your pastor, I don't know that I can ask you more strongly to do something than this. Take that assessment. Figure out what God has for you next and do the next thing. Don't just wait to come back to church next Sunday. Man, you want a boring Christian life? Do that. But start walking one step with God at a time. And it is the most fun, exciting thing that you've ever been a part of. So as we worship together, we remember that we are the body of Christ together, that God, when he empowered them with his Holy Spirit, he united them by his Spirit. He sent them forth by his Spirit and he called them to keep remembering who they belong to and who they're with. And so Jesus, on that night he was betrayed, took the elements of Passover, that bread and that cup, and forever transformed them into their true meaning, what they had meant all along. They just didn't know it yet. And Jesus took that bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for y'all. That's the Southern translation. That's important though. It's not just my body given for you individually. Steve or Scott, Benji or Kelly or Katie. Yes, that's true, but we are part of it together. It's my body given for y'all. Take, eat, and every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So take that wafer, that little symbol of the bread, the presence of Christ, the provision of God. And God, we thank you just as Jesus did. We ask your blessing on this bread that represents your body, your presence, your nourishment, your sustenance with us and for us together. So church, take and eat the body of Christ given for you and then Jesus took that cup, the cup of the Passover and he said this cup, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins the blood of a new covenant new relationship with God and one another take drink and every time you do this do this in remembrance of me And so God, just like Jesus did, we ask you to bless this cup, this symbol of your blood that was poured out on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that washes us clean, that takes the shame and the guilt off of our back, that removes death so we no longer have to live in fear, but can live in power as sons and daughters of you. So God, even right now, before we take this cup, Lord, will you remind us as we even recognize our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, the places that we need to be healed. And will you speak your forgiveness into our souls? Cleanse us that nothing separates us from your love. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so church, the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take, drink. And do so in remembrance of him. And so, Lord, we are your people. You are our God. And we worship you.
0: Thanks for listening. Once again, our mission at Grace Monroe is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, go to graceformonroe.com slash connect. Also, if you felt blessed by our ministry and want to partner with us financially, everything you need to know about giving is online at graceformonroe.com slash give. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed.